You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for The Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Good morning, everyone. As uh, Pastor Brad mentioned earlier, it's crazy to say, but uh, this is our last regular Sunday before we begin our season of Advent. Time flies, right? And uh, no wonder it says in Colossians to make the best use of the time, because it just doesn't wait around for us, does it? Today, of course, we're going to be continuing with where we left off in Colossians in the middle of chapter 3, but uh, before I get into the passage, we're just, we're just going to jump right in this morning. Before I get into the passage, I'm going, to, I'm going to first read out a list of topics. I'm just going to say, just read a list of topics, and as I read through them, I want you to think about what they all have in common, okay? All right, here we go. List of topics. They'll be behind me on the screen. Thank you, Josh. All right, let's read through them. Nationality, science, social status, education, power, beauty, family values, marriage, theology, denominations, sports, skin color, gender, age, politics, religion, culture, ideology, wealth, history, employment, tradition, vaccines, immigration, bloodlines, ethnicity and race, hair color, land, music, and marital status. The list could go on, but hopefully we get the point. To that end, what do all these topics have in common? Well, first of all, they've all become sources of dissension, polarization, and discrimination among human beings, right? They're they're topics which repeatedly lure us in to taking sides, into generating factions, into having prideful and combative us versus them worldviews into either feeling inferior or alternatively into feeling superior or having elitist attitudes toward others. And ultimately, they're topics which lure us into creating barriers and building walls that keep the other side from entering in or or having a voice. To, To put it another way, they're all topics that have cultivated or have been proven to have the potential to cultivate division, arrogance, inequality, polarization, and disunity among humans on both small and and large scales, causing us to hate one another and uh, erroneously justifying wars. Just turn on the news today. And and things like racism and social inequality, prejudice, segregation, genocide, suffering, slavery, poverty, and wealth inequality, subjugation and oppression, persecution, condemnation, cultural assimilation, bitter resentments, arguments, family splits, church splits, civil wars, civil violence, slander, mocking, murder, abuse, and on and on and on. But let's back up a bit. Let's go back to the list. What else do these topics have in common? 
They're actually topics which touch on and represent pretty much every arena of our lives. In other words, we as humans have managed to ensure that just about every single part of our lives has, has, has become a potential subject or occasion for polarization, disunity, prejudice, and inequality. Every part of our lives. Isn't it great that Adam and Eve made sure humans could have the opportunity to be gods of our own morality? That was sarcasm. Most of you got that. An article I read this week stated, Amidst all the rabid accusations of one group against the other in politics now, ever wondered what really divides us humans? We usually answer that with the obvious things like politics, family, religion, socioeconomic status, or nationality. We'd like to think that the things that come between us are substantial, important things, but believe it or not, study after study has shown that at the heart of human nature, it takes the littlest, shallower things to draw the line between who is us and who is them. So again, studies, studies have shown that, that humans don't need much convincing to create dividing lines and subsequently oppress or reject others for being exactly that other. But this is why the kingdom of God is so beautiful. In the kingdom of God, there is no such thing as other. There's no such thing as oppression or subjugation. There's no such thing as dividing lines or inequality. In the kingdom of God, everyone stands equally and in unity. Because everyone bears the image of God. And because Jesus Christ is all and in all. And this is exactly where the Apostle Paul remind, what, what, what the Apostle Paul reminds the church in Colossae of as he continues from where we left off last week, saying to those who've been saved by Christ, he says this in Colossians 3, 10 to 11. This is our passage for this morning. He says to them, all the Christians there, he says, you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, Slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. A couple of years ago, in the ancient time of 2011, my, uh, my favorite hockey team, the Vancouver Canucks, they lost last night, but whatever. The, the Vancouver Canucks, they made it to the Stanley Cup Finals against uh, the Boston Bruins. Unfortunately, the Boston Bruins won the cup in game seven. Also unfortunate was that at the time, a member of our community group happened to be a Boston Bruins fan. And, and from my perspective, he was gloating a bit too much. Uh, <laughs> therefore, without hesitation, I immediately took the proper steps for this kind of scenario, and I initiated the right of excommunicado upon him. <laughs> I, I not only kicked him out of my community group, but out of the church, actually. So, you're welcome. No, of, of course I didn't do that. I, 
I joked about that because I joke about it. I joked about it with someone last week, actually, a Blackhawks fan. You know who you are. Um, but I didn't actually do that, right? I would, that would be ridiculous, right? Um, because as Christians, the, the, the simple yet powerful truth is that we don't gather together based on our preferred sports team or our political leanings, or our gender, or our age, or our ethnicity, or our marital status, or whatever else, right? No, the beautiful thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it transcends cultures, it transcends borders, and and gender, and race, and politics, and socioeconomic status, and all those things which so often divide us. And even better, it causes us to come together in equal standing under the same banner of Jesus Christ, and, and this is what the Apostle Paul is, is, is getting at. We're no longer defined by our differences, but rather by the very fact that we each bear the image of God. We all abide in Christ and he in us. There, therefore, we all carry the exact same intrinsic value and worth in the eyes of God. We're all on the same level playing field. Galatians 3, 26 to 28 actually expands on this truth. When it says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God, sons meaning heirs of God through faith. For as many of you as, as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In Christ, we're all equal, we're all heirs to the kingdom, we're all rescued by Jesus in the same way, by grace, through faith, and therefore no one is superior or inferior or more or less important than anyone else. We're still different, sure, but as Christians, we're all equal because we're all in Christ. Jews, Greeks, slave, free, men, women, young, old, rich, poor, immigrants, and residents, one in Christ. As it says in one of my commentaries that I read this week, it says, in the realm of the new self, where the image of God is truly reflected, these distinctions have no real significance. Differences, to be sure, remain in the Christian community, but not in such a way as to be barriers to fellowship. To the extent that Christians do permit them to be barriers, they are acting out of character. To that end, and I don't really want to harp on this too much, but I do feel it needs to be said, the Western church has done a fantastic job of, as the quote says, acting out of character. We've created so many barriers. We've created so many dividing lines. We've adopted the worldly obsession of being quick to offense and quick to polarize. You know, whether it's concerning racial, social, theological, personal, or political factors, right? Whatever it is, we've been a poor witness in presenting the reality and hope to the world and to each other of the egalitarian and, and unified kingdom of God, which was always meant to include people of every social class and every nation and every tongue. Though, nothing's really changed in that regard. I'm sure the, the church in Colossae, Paul's speaking to here, would have also had its fair share of 
challenges in, in their own polarizing culture as well. I'm, I'm sure that um, I bet it would have been incredibly hard for the religious Jewish believers to accept the, the philosophical Greek believers into their ranks or for the, the Greeks to accept the Jews. I bet it would have been difficult and humbling for the poor bond servants to worship next to free men, especially their, their masters and vice versa. It would have also been a challenge for them all not to turn their nose down at a barbarian, an uncultured and crude foreigner who dressed oddly and spoke in a weird language. And I'm sure it would have been incredibly unnerving if a Scythian, who are known to be tall and and brutal warriors, who were once murderous enemies of the Greeks, I'm sure it would have been very unnerving if, if one of them came into their home to worship with them. What I'm saying is that in their social and economic context, there would have been so many opportunities for segregation, for partiality, and for inequality there, right? Like, I could just imagine their scenario. They'd be like, okay, you Jews, you sit over there, and you Greeks, you sit over there, and and you barbarians and and foreigners, you go sit in the back, and and the masters and the rich landowners, they get get the front row, and and the poor bond servants, you guys got got to stay outside the door. You can can look in, right? And and make sure that we we keep an eye on those Scythians, because they're pretty sketchy. Increase the security. And then after the service... All those in the circumcised group, who are obviously the most religious, will meet at the local Tim Hortons to pump each other up about how how much more deserving they are of salvation and more knowledgeable they are in their theology than everyone else, while the uncircumcised Greeks would get busy recording their podcasts for the obvious purpose of projecting their intellectual superiority over the foreigner. They had Tim Hortons in podcasts back then, I'm I'm pretty sure. But... uh, Paul, Paul put, just puts an end to all of that, puts an end to all of that by reminding them that no one is better. No one is more deserving. No one is more superior. And no one is inferior. For every single person who has received Jesus Christ was a sinner saved by the same grace. And subsequently, every single one of them has now put on the new self as an image bearer of God where Christ is all and in all. We're all wearing the same uniform, the same outfit. We're on the same team and all co-heirs to the kingdom of God. He puts it this way in Ephesians 2, 14 to 16. He says, for he, Jesus, himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. So he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles there, right? What he's saying is that, that, that the racial and, and economic and, and social barriers which existed between the Jews and the Gentiles no longer exist because Jesus has, has torn them down. He made peace through his death on the cross where he satisfied the demands of of the law and took the punishment for the sins of all, Jew and Gentile, so that everyone, everyone could be reconciled to God. Like Like the Berlin Wall in Germany, right? It's been torn down. 
so that, that the people who were once separated can now be joined together again as equal citizens of the same unified nation. So Jesus did for us at the cross. That's what he did for humanity at the cross. And, and to that end, the Apostle Paul once wrote, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's, that's our, our passport of, of the one nation that we belong to, is Christ who lives in me. This is the cry of every single believer. Christ is all and in all. That's our new identity, and an identity we, we share with every single other believer. Again, whether rich, poor, slave, free, black or white, educated or uneducated, male or female, young or old, foreign or local, we're all given equal standing in Christ. Former Pastor John Piper writes, he says, if Christ is all and if Christ is in all, what becomes of those relationships? Once we boasted in our culture and our intellect like the Greeks, but now Christ is all. Once we gloried in our tradition and our religious rigor like the Jews, but now Christ is all. Once we got our strokes because of our ethnic pedigree, but now Christ is all. Once we reveled in not being like the barbarians and the shabby Scythians, but now Christ is all. Or once we resented not being the cultured, not being rigorous, not having the cultured pedigree, not having wealth and refinement, but now Christ is all. Once we tried to find our significance and our happiness and our security in what we were in relation to other people or in distinction from other people, we're Jews, we're Greeks, we're circumcised, we're free, we're American, we're rich, we're smart, we're strong, we're pretty, we're witty, we're cool. But then that old self died. A new self was born, and the core essence of the new self is that it knows and feels Christ is all. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. To live is Christ. So again, this is one of the most incredible things about the gospel. It has the ability to bring people together. People who've, who've historically hated one another. Because as Christians whose, whose eyes have been opened, we can no longer look at each other through, through, through this worldly lens, judging each other by our differences, but rather as fellow image bearers of God, as equally adopted into the kingdom as brothers and sisters in Christ. Proverbs 22.2 proclaims it simply, saying, Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. This is, this is what we all have in common. The Lord is the maker of us all. So the question then is, how do we portray this commonality in our, in our church or in our church communities? How, how do we cultivate a culture that's rooted in the unifying and, and peacemaking work that Jesus accomplished for us at the cross? How, how do we show the world that, that equality among diverse groups of peoples in various walks of life is actually possible in a world where that's seemingly impossible? Well, the answer to those questions is quite simple in its complexity because according to Jesus, everything... Everything falls under the commandments to love God and to love one another as ourselves. Love God and love one another as ourselves. In fact, Jesus tells us that, that in doing the second commandment, this is how the world will see him and know him. He says, the world will know him by the way we love one another. But practically speaking, what, what does that look like? 
What does that look like? Well, I'm sure there's many ways. I have four points that I want to talk about this morning. And to be honest, each one could be a sermon on their own. So we're going to just be skimming over these points. But I uh, just pray the Holy Spirit will speak to your hearts. Bring encouragement, bring conviction as we go through these points. So how do we portray and cultivate commonality and equality? Number one, by showing no partiality. By showing no partiality. James 2, 8-9 says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. Good job. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So again, if we're all equal in Christ, then that means that no one in the kingdom of God gets preferential treatment. Of course, this doesn't negate the fact that, that some people might need more help or attention or, or mercy than others, and that some might have been called to give more out of what they've been given, right? But that's not what this is saying. This, what this is saying is that as Christians, we can't pick our favorites and then subsequently turn away or exclude or neglect others based on external factors, like if they're annoying or if they smell bad or if they're a different skin color or if they're poor or if they have different opinions about health care or if they voted differently than you or if, or if they're married or not or whatever, right? For, for as Scripture says, God is not a, not a respecter of persons, which means he doesn't show favoritism. He treats everyone with the same level of judgment and mercy. So it should go without saying then that as his image bearers, we, we cannot and should not show partiality either. This means we should be ready and willing to include everyone and anyone at our tables. We should be ready and willing to be hospitable and generous to everyone. We should be willing to, to sit with and worship and, and pray with those who, who don't look like us or act like us. Again, this is the beauty of the gospel. In, in, in the same row in church, we could see you know, a white punk girl with purple hair and, 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 a, and a slum kid from India and, and an indigenous elder all standing together worshiping Jesus as one. That's beautiful. This is our new worldview since we, we, we put on the new self, right? To see and treat every believer regardless of age, status, class, or race, or whatever else, as equals in the kingdom of God. Of course, this doesn't mean we're all going to have the same roles and, and responsibilities or callings or, or wealth or, or spiritual gifts and all of those things. But as Paul reminds the church in Corinth uh, in, in his first letter to them, every member of the body of Christ, including what they bring to the table, is important and valuable. So we can't show partiality. And, and in the same sense... Since we're on the subject, I'd argue that we should also view and treat our unbelieving neighbors with the same respect, with the same love, because we can't forget that, that we're no better or deserving of grace than them, and they're also created in the image of God, whether they realize it yet or not. And besides, in, in this way, in doing so, they'll see the love and kindness of the Lord in us and may even be led to repentance and salvation. And so we can't show partiality to anyone. 
if we're going to live the way Christ called us to. Which leads us to the second way we portray and live out our commonality and equality in the church. At number two, that's with mutual submission and service. At one point in Jesus' ministry, he reminds his disciples that greatness isn't lording over others like the rulers of the Gentiles do, right? But rather, greatness is defined by the way we humbly serve one another. And, and if we truly recognize that we're all equals, that no one is better than, than anybody else, what this does is this actually removes any sense of jealousy or arrogance or, or the need to build ourselves up, or, or to fight for our place at the table, or to lord over others. Rather, it sets us free to actually serve each other. Because we're confident in who we are in Christ, we can actually serve one another. And furthermore, when we recognize that we're all image bearers of Christ, we, we also recognize then that to serve one another is actually synonymous with serving Christ. Ephesians 5.21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So it's great that we worship, we sing songs. That's really nice. It's biblical. It's great. But worship is also serving one another. And naturally, the Apostle Paul actually goes into this topic next in his letter to the Colossians. And of course, we're going to be studying that passage in further depth later on in January after Christmas. But for now, let's, let's read through this, this passage and acknowledge how we're called to call for and, and humbly serve one another as fellow image bearers. So Colossians 3, 12 to 17 says this, Put on then, this is our, our new clothes, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful." Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Man, if, if, if we woke up in the morning and just read that passage every morning, <laughs> man, how different what our days go. This, this is such a beautiful passage, right? Paul's goal, which, which reflects God's will, is to see all Christians, God's chosen ones, living and functioning together in perfect harmony and peace, worshiping together as the unified body of Christ. Loving one another, serving one another, teaching one another, giving to one another, being patient with one another. Because none of us are perfect, right? Right? So we need to be patient with one another and, of course, forgiving one another. Forgiving one another. That, that point is so important, right? Because bitterness and anger are, are so often the roads to division and sin. 
So we serve one another. We don't show partiality to who we're serving, and we serve one another. Which brings us to the next way that we're called to live as equals in the body of Christ, which is to keep the unity. To keep the unity. Again, this, this unity that we're talking about here isn't unity for unity's sake, and it isn't one that we create or manufacture on our own. No, it's the oneness and, and harmony and peace which has already been won for us and given to us through Jesus Christ. And it's been sealed in us by the indwelling Holy Spirit. So our goal then as, as Christians isn't to create unity, it's to preserve the unity that we've already been given. And to do that at all costs. Con- conversely, the, the enemy's work is to divide and to destroy, right? To get, us, to get us bickering about politics and vaccines and the church budget and which pastor is better. Anyone? No? Or about music worship styles or what, the, what color the stage curtains should be or, you know, dumb stuff like that. To, or, or to divide us by culture or race or economic status or by offense and, and prejudice all that worldly and, and petty stuff that makes no difference in the kingdom of God. Just, just polarizing topics that, that make us forget that we're all fellow image bearers and brothers and sisters in Christ. All filled by the same Holy Spirit. But yet, let's be honest, we, we often get sucked into that, don't we? So it's no surprise then God knows who we are, right? So it's no surprise then that the Bible repeatedly cautions us to both watch out for those who cause division in the church and to avoid the things in our own hearts which cause division. That we should watch out for attitudes like arrogance or selfish desires that cause jealousy and and frustration or quarreling and, and bickering and, and grumbling about foolish controversies and worthless religious laws and wild speculations. And the list goes on. <laughs> because none of that is profitable for building up the church or, or of keeping the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Like, like Jesus, we, we should be breaking down the barriers of hostility in His name, not... not putting them up, right? We should be focused on striving to make decisions and and doing things that actually pursue and preserve the unity that we have in Christ. Basically, we should be using wisdom and and asking ourselves before before we do something or before we bring up a topic, is this asking this question, is this go- going to create division and offense or, or is this going to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? In the same vein, though, this, this also means that we do need to learn to have the patience and the humility to listen to somebody else's differing opinions about potentially controversial and dividing topics without being triggered without being offended, right? We can't be quick to anger. You know, to be able to have genuine, empathizing and open conversations, remembering that our unity is built on Jesus Christ and the essential doctrines of the gospel, 
not on whether we agree on everything else. Ultimately, we, we, we need to be able to resist the growing polarization that's become so prevalent in our culture and on social media because the bottom line is that lingering offense and division don't belong in the kingdom of God. Lingering offense and division don't belong in the kingdom of God. There's no room for that. And this leads us to my last point this morning for how we should cultivate unity and live as equals in the kingdom of God. Number four, we need to celebrate our diversity. Celebrate our diversity. One, one, one of the, the important things to remember is that, that unity and equality doesn't make us the same. It doesn't make us the same. It places us all on the same level as image bearers of God, but it doesn't turn us into these uniformed replicas. No, no, in the kingdom of God, our differences and our diversity are no longer what divide us, but rather that they're actually what form us into the full and complete picture of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 14 says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. That's a great metaphor that, that he has there, right? That's, we're all part of the same body. And yet, what makes the body function properly is the very fact that we all come to it with, with different gifts and roles and callings. And that we all come to it with different cultural backgrounds that also bring with it different perspectives and expressions or, or styles of music and worship and, and food. Don't forget the food. There's a potluck coming up in two weeks. That's one of the best parts about being unified together. <laughs> no, but seriously, though, we, we all make up the body of Christ precisely with our unique and, and diverse backgrounds, cultures and skills by, by which we can work together Right? And learn about Jesus from each other. And it's the same Holy Spirit in us who empowers it all, which is incredible. And, 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 all, these, and all these differences should be, be celebrated and given space to flourish. And, and to that end, the more that we actually celebrate our diversity and our differences, the, the more we show and portray to the world around us what eternity in the kingdom of God looks like. The, that glorious future reality where people of every nation, every tribe, every tongue, of every walk of life will be worshiping together under the same banner of Jesus Christ in the presence of the Holy God. What, a, what an incredible picture that is. We're called to display that here on earth. And again, this is why the kingdom of God is so beautiful. Again, in the kingdom of God, there's no such thing as other. There's no such thing as oppression or subjugation. There's no such thing as dividing lines or inequality. In the kingdom of God, everyone stands equally and in unity because everyone bears the image of God and because Jesus Christ is all and in all. So I want to leave you with these two verses from Romans 15, 5 to 6 which says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, 
that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ.